Today on Not Sam Wrestling, Thunderdome is here, and we have a lot to dissect coming off of SummerSlam weekend. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh my God. This is the energy that I want to feel coming off of a WWE pay-per-view. And I don't know how much of it is good matches, how much of it is a surprise at the end, which could be good. Doesn't doesn't guaranteed to be good. I didn't leave SummerSlam going like, well, SmackDown is a guaranteed home run this week. But I've left SummerSlam with the potential that SmackDown could be a a home run. Or I don't know if maybe it's just what the Thunderdome did to me. That for the first time since February of this year, I felt like I was watching a WWE pay-per-view. I didn't feel like I was in a holding pattern waiting for the world to return to normalcy. You know, so much of us that are so obsessed with wrestling... And let's not pretend we aren't, and let's not pretend we should be ashamed of that. The reason that we spend so much time thinking about it, the reason we spend so much time consuming wrestling-related content, if you're listening to this podcast right now, odds are you are at least on some level obsessed with wrestling. Maybe not exactly to the same degree that I am, but to some degree you are. I mean, if you watch half, half, of the wrestling content that is produced by major wrestling organizations every week. You have to be somewhat obsessed. If you watched any network television show two to three hours a week, every week, 52 weeks a year, people would be like, you are obsessed with that show. If you watch two to three hours of wrestling every week, 52 weeks a year, you're like an occasional fan, okay? So if you've made it to this podcast, if you've gone through that threshold, through all that programming, and made it to the point that Not Sam Wrestling is another spot that you spend an hour of your week, odds are that you are to some degree obsessed with wrestling. I'm obsessed with wrestling to a tremendous degree. I'm obsessed with wrestling to the point that when I'm not watching it and when I'm not talking about it by myself on this podcast most of the time, and buying wrestling merchandise and getting jackets from Chalkline and hitting up Mattel, trying to get them to hook up an Elite Squad member with some figures, or hitting up Ringside Collectibles, trying to get another box sent my way, or going to, you know, Target to Walmart to Target to Walmart looking for figures. When I'm not doing all that, or driving my ass to Stanford, Connecticut to be a part of these WWE shows, When I'm not doing that, I'm not exactly leaving my work at work. I'm thinking about wrestling. That's why I come up with all these cockamamie theories that I spit out on this podcast. It's because I'm thinking about it. I'm obsessed with it. Most of the people who work in WWE, whether they would admit it or not, are at least to some degree obsessed with wrestling. If they spend any amount of time working in that company, they have to be obsessed with wrestling. It's it's an all-encompassing thing. If your job that you're at right now was like, I know most jobs are nine to five, but we require your life and you'll work here and we'll pay you, but we also need your entire life. If you're not obsessed with the product that you're putting out, that's not the job for you. So there are a lot of people that are obsessed with wrestling. And if you've made it to this podcast, there's no reason to act like, whoa, let's not make too big a deal out of it. Because the fact is that there is a comfort level to watching wrestling. That's why we like it so much. The same way, uh, I mean, it's why adult wrestling fans still buy wrestling toys. It's why adult wrestling fans still buy t-shirts with their favorite wrestler on the front of it. You're not supposed to do that stuff as a grown-up, but you know why we do it? Because it's our comfort. It's our comfort food, you know? 
That's why you go to the store. You know what the hottest toy line is right now? One of them? Ninja Turtles. You can't find Ninja Turtles toys anywhere. You know why? It's not because a bunch of kids are obsessed with Ninja Turtles. It's because grown-ups are buying Ninja Turtles because it's their comfort food. Now, the thing about Ninja Turtles is whether there's COVID or quarantine or corona or whatever's going on, you could still draw some turtles up, put them on TV. For the most part, adult Ninja Turtles fans are watching the stuff that they were watching as a kid. Wrestling is the only thing that people are so obsessed with that we watch hours of it from when we were a kid. And then we watch hours of it from when we were a young adult. And then we watch hours of it that's produced currently. So when something happens in the world that is so life-altering that it changes the format of this thing, this entity, this, this sport, this form of sports entertainment that we watch every week, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It has been uncomfortable to watch Monday Night Raw and to watch Friday Night SmackDown and to watch WWE pay-per-views in the Performance Center. As I'm recording this podcast, in the background on mute is the WWE 24 special on WrestleMania this year. And I'm watching it thinking to myself that, wow, there's tons of great memories. The only stuff that you're really going to want to go back and watch is the Boneyard match and the John Cena Bray Wyatt Funhouse match. That's all you're going to want to rewatch from this year's WrestleMania. And that's not because everything was bad because there were some good matches on it. You know, Drew versus Brock was cool. It was uh, uh, the ladder match was cool. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte was really good. Even the last man standing match. Some people thought it was too long. I thought it was good. But we're not going to go back and watch those matches because there's something uncomfortable about watching wrestling in an empty building. And even when they start bringing in fans, there's something uncomfortable about watching something like Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or Extreme Rules, Money in the Bank, any of the pay-per-views in this small little warehouse where you can see the ceiling, where there's a fan in the air, where, where, where you couldn't fit 300 people if you wanted to. We're used to seeing this go arena to arena every week. And every week that it's not there, it reminds us things are not normal. And there's something uncomfortable about it. And as much as you watch wrestling to escape the uncomfortableness of what's going on in front of you, as much as you do that, you still can't fully escape it because it's so different. And watching SummerSlam this weekend, and the reason I'm not including NXT in this conversation is for the most part, NXT T, NXT TV anyway, always takes place in full sale anyway. So NXT is a little different in the sense that we're not used to seeing NXT except for takeovers in big giant buildings. And like, you know, a takeover you could kind of look past. The NXT is a little bit different. WWE, Raw, SmackDown, they've never, I mean... For 20, 30, it's been 30 years since they've been in a building even remotely this small. And even 30 years ago, they weren't playing buildings this small. So watching SummerSlam, I mean, it started with SmackDown. I think with SmackDown, the Thunderdome was a major, major curiosity, right? And by the way, speaking of people who are obsessed with wrestling and uh, and uh, escapism and comfort food and all that stuff, do want to give a fun, a, a good shout out. This weekend was a great weekend. Um, on Sunday, we got to do a whole uh, Zoom room for the upper tier Patreon members at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. The Not Sam Shills, we all got to hang out in a Zoom room for an hour before SummerSlam. And it was an absolute blast. We'll be doing it again this Sunday before payback. So if you're not a member already, hit us up at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. But I talk about... Uh, the Thunderdome and watching SmackDown on Friday. And a lot of it was curiosity. We had seen some screenshots that were leaked uh, that, that, that showed the world what Thunderdome was going to look like. And I think for the most part, you know, there were, of course, jokes going out there and there should always be jokes going out there. Um, but I think for the most part, people were like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. And then SmackDown came on and it was it was pretty much two hours of getting used to it. It was two hours of, of being like, oh, that's cool. And, oh, that's different. And I don't know about that. And I love that. You know, it was, it was two hours of that, which I actually like. I like that SmackDown was dipping your foot in the pool 
So by SummerSlam, we were ready to jump in. And by SummerSlam, it was like, okay, this is what WWE looks like. And I found myself watching SummerSlam this weekend feeling so much more comfortable watching wrestling than I have in months because it looked and felt like WWE is supposed to look and feel like big arenas. You know, I, I, I think that, that first of all, I think the potential of what they can do with Thunderdome, they've only scratched the surface. And I've talked to people in WWE that are like, dude, you have no idea how much this is capable of. We are just starting with this thing. And when you look at, you know, COVID and everything and the fact that none of us know, forget about it. Like, it's not like a day will come where you go, good news, everybody, back to normal. In New York today, Monday, you know, this week, they're finally outside of New York City opening gyms that you can have to a capacity of 33% if you wear a mask and you're spaced out. And like, you know, all these rules, but they're slowly starting to open stuff back up. And they've done stuff like that across the country. Stuff slowly gets opened back up. Sometimes they have to pull it back. Sometimes they can push it forward. But there's not like this day comes where they go, hey, everybody, good news. We can fill up arenas again. You know, that's going to be a very gradual process. And you can't rush that process either. Because if you rush that process, we've seen what happens. We have to go backwards. You know, mistakes get made. People get sick. You have to go backwards. So to see this alternative happen where you watch the Thunderdome and you're like, this could work. This could this could easily work. If this takes a year to get back to normal, I could, I, I'd be okay being in the Thunderdome and watching the Thunderdome evolve, even if it takes a year. You know, I felt as I was watching SummerSlam, like I was watching a WWE pay-per-view again. Seeing Drew McIntyre raise the title after he beat Randy Orton made me feel like, and then seeing some fans behind him, and, and I felt like the fans that were on the Thunderdome monitor were more so on SummerSlam than at SmackDown, kind of getting used to the whole process. You know, seeing fans boo, seeing fans cheer, seeing fans gasp, and some of them are hamming it up because, you know, at SummerSlam, I don't think they really did this on SmackDown, but at SummerSlam, they started trying to zoom the camera in on groups of screens so that they could see reactions. And I think that once fans realized, I mean, you see all these fans, the Undertaker guy, surprised Undertaker face guy, changed everything. You see fans like looking in the corner of their eyes to see if there's a camera near them. And as soon as that red light goes on, they go, oh, I can't believe it. Everybody wants to be angry Miz girl, you know, which is fine, especially in this era, because I think it adds to the experience. But I I just really, I, I, I felt good about the whole thing. I felt good as a wrestling fan watching something, as somebody who's watched WWE forever, that started to feel normal again, you know? Um, I think the addition of all that pyro is great. There were a couple of things, right? I feel like WWE does the best TV production in the world, in sports, in anything. It's a joke that award shows get nominated for best live event production or whatever it is. Like the idea that the person who produces the Emmy Awards once a year is a better live television producer than somebody like Kevin Dunn or, or the people producing Monday Night Raw and SmackDown every single week. It's a joke. That's a joke. Okay, the amount going on on all those shows, even if the creative sucks, the amount that goes in, the amount of stuff happening on all those shows, even on a boring episode, is a heavier workload than anything on TV. And I feel like WWE was one of the few companies that figured out how to continue to run live shows and never stopped running. The fact that the show never stopped was that sort of claim to this is WWE. This is a different place. And this is how we rock. This is how we get things done. We're going to figure out a way to keep, to stay on, to stay on, to stay on. And at first that was the accomplishment, but then everybody kind of figured out 
how they could get on too. And you saw other sports coming back and you saw other shows coming back and you saw this all start to happen again and broadcasting from home started to become a thing. And the idea that WWE was doing their shows out of the Performance Center was no longer a feat. It was no longer impressive. So I feel like with the Thunderdome, the WWE kind of came forward and said, oh, we wanted to remind you that we're the best in the world at this. Nobody can beat us at television production. And they come forward and 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 create this thing that you're like, how could, like you wouldn't see this anywhere. You're watching this going, there is nothing on television that measures up to it. It is as close to the feeling and the energy of real WWE as, or, or as anything has come. I think it's come so much closer to finding that energy than baseball has, than basketball has. It's and and look, baseball just came back. Basketball hasn't been back for that long. Like you know, maybe give them some time and they'll figure it out. Also, it's not like there's just one person that's in charge of baseball and can control every stadium, or basketball can control every stadium. Like it's a little bit trickier. I understand, but regardless of the reason why. WWE is doing it better than anybody, and they, they've really proven that. Like, whatever you want to say about their creative, the Thunderdome is, is a feat in the world that we're living in. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I think it's really, really cool, and I think it added a lot this weekend. So let's get into the weekend. Let's get into it. Um, there were a couple of interesting things on SmackDown I found before we get into TakeOver and before we get into SummerSlam. Uh, number one, it was clear. I love the pace. So WWE, this is why WWE is smart. They set the press release. Thunderdome, Thunderdome, Thunderdome. You got to see this Thunderdome. It's going to be amazing, right? And so they know that everybody is tuning into SmackDown for the first two minutes just to see Thunderdome. And there's going to be people that probably turn it off. They're like, oh, okay, I saw it. I was curious as to what WWE is doing, so I saw it. So they go, okay, we got people for the first 30 seconds even. So how are we going to keep them? How are we going to hook them? Okay, let's start with Vince. We know when Vince McMahon is on TV, people why. It's a big deal when Mr. McMahon shows up. So we go, Mr. McMahon. Then we immediately show the world The Fiend. Then we immediately show the world Braun Strowman and set up this match that's happening at SummerSlam. Now, even if all you're doing is tuning in to watch the Thunderdome for a couple of seconds, you now are on board with what is happening at SummerSlam. So boom, we got that time. We got those eyes. Let's do a commercial for this pay-per-view. And they nail it. Then Retribution comes out right away. It's a storyline that's got people talking. It's got people interested and clearly WWE is, is on board with it. So they go forward, they go, boom, here's retribution. And now all of a sudden in that first segment, you've shown the world Thunderdome, Mr. McMahon, The Fiend, Braun Strowman, retribution, and the entire SmackDown roster comes out after him. Perfect, perfect. But let's get away from trying to get the new eyes and ears on everything. And now let's talk about wrestling as wrestling fans. So I thought there was a lot of, whether it be... uh red herring, whether it be true, you know, uh, a lot of signs pointing to the Miz being behind retribution last week on SmackDown, which feels by the way, when you think about SmackDown last week and it was in the performance center, it feels like it was months ago already. Like you can't picture WWE not being in the Thunderdome anymore, but you think about that and the Miz is on commentary. And Michael Cole's talking about retribution. Oh my God, they're backstage and they're beating up Kayla and they won't let that guy out of the bathroom. And this is absurd. And uh, Miz is on commentary going, yeah, this sucks. And Michael Cole's like, well, why don't you do something about it? And Miz is like, why? There's plenty of people back there. And you're going like, oh, okay. All right. But I could pass that off as just the Miz being a coward, right? The real... And he's mentioned uh, Retribution a couple times in promos where you're like, oh, that's weird. But, you know, he could just be being a heel. He could just be being a a coward. Then he's late coming out to stop Retribution on SmackDown. I think when 
Everybody saw that The Miz came out way after everybody else to stop retribution. Uh, that's when people were all like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Question is, is that what's going on here? Or is it just a thing to get people talking? If it is what's going on here, um, then I hope that what we see is an angrier Miz. I hope that what we see is a, a Miz that's a little more anarchistic. Anarchan, anarchistic? Anarchistic? Anarch, a, a Miz that is into anarchy. Um, I hope that John Morrison does not approve of this because look, you know, I talked about a week or so ago how the WWE missed the boat with The Miz and how in 2017 he should have been WWE champion. In 2017, he was the top heel in the company. He was just great. Um, You're not going to go back there with The Miz in a tag team. And I know like, you know, The Miz was on Talking Smack and he was talking to Big E, you know, because Big E rightfully brought up how Kofi was just treated like garbage by having his title run get squashed and then no mention of Kofi Kingston being a main eventer ever coming up ever again. Uh, and The Miz was like, well, you got to work hard. You got to do this. You got to do that. But The Miz knows better than that. I mean, The Miz has to know that while he's teamed up with John Morrison, that neither he nor John Morrison will be in a main event. They'll be a big tag team. They might hold the tag titles, but at the end of the day, the Miz and John Morrison will be there to sit in director's chairs and tee up whoever the next big superstar is. And I still believe that you can get another top-of-the-card heel run out of The Miz if it's something you want to do. And I think that Retribution could do that, but I, I don't think it can. I think if The Miz and John Morrison are partners in this and they're both the captains of Retribution... I think this is a, a mid-card storyline. If John Morrison by himself is the captain, if The Miz by himself is the captain, then you're talking about elevating one of those two to a main event section. And you can sit there and you can have The Miz first feud with John Morrison and then move on to other guys. I think it makes more sense for The Miz uh, to be in charge of retribution than John Morrison but, you know, if John Morrison, like, you could get a story out of John Morrison. He was gone from this company for all these years. He comes back and he sees the company has changed. The company has changed for the worse. Not only that, but opportunities have gone to zero. Look at him. He came back with all this anticipation, all this excitement. And now what's he doing? Doing music videos with The Miz. It's a joke. John Morrison could tell that story, or The Miz could tell. The Miz has, absolutely has a story to tell, the story, the story that we all know. It could absolutely work to have The Miz as the leader of Retribution. For me, I would probably prefer that be a red herring, you know, or even The Miz thought he was a leader, or, or it could be interesting if The Miz was second in command to somebody else. You know, I, I always like twists. I don't need it to be so cut and dry that The Miz is in charge of retribution. Um, I, so, SummerSlam. You know what? Let's get back to retribution when we talk about SummerSlam because it was very odd that retribution was not at SummerSlam. Very odd to me, especially since they even ran a retribution package on the pre-show. Let's keep going with SmackDown real quick. Um... Nikki Cross did a promo where it was about Alexa Bliss. And I don't know. I mean, after SummerSlam, I, Alexa Bliss wasn't even involved at SummerSlam. So I don't know if that's just being dropped. I hope that Nikki Cross is not the one that ends up with Bray Wyatt because Nikki Cross ending up with Bray Wyatt is just so on the nose. It, it's basically just doing sanity again. You know, I mean, I think that Alexa Bliss joining Bray Wyatt and just turning around and torturing a person like Nikki Cross who made a mistake and is now sorry about that mistake. And instead of forgiving her former friend, Alexa Bliss is hell-bent on destroying her. 
I mean, that to me, that is how you create a character. That's the money in that. So I got a little worried, to tell you the truth, watching that Nikki Cross promo. Um, let's get into NXT. Let's get into TakeOver. Uh, of course, I was on the uh, TakeOver kickoff. Um, it was a blast. Scott Stanford, myself, Booker T. Uh, they also had the triple threat tag match on there. And I will tell you this. I went a lot further in my goal to perfect the art of the soundbite. I don't think we have ever done a kickoff show where we have tried to pack that much in to such a short amount of time. We did all of the, you know, commercial work that you have to do, all the salesman work that you have to do on those shows, promoting, here's what's coming up, here's what's coming up, buy the network, buy the network, buy the network. And then at the same time, because... I like on those kickoff shows to add something, right? I like to know that I can justify to myself why I should have been there. Presenting an opinion, giving some kind of quote, giving something, not just like, hey, it's going to be a good match because I'm not a wrestler. I'm not a legend. I'm not one of these wrestlers who it's like, you know, if, if, Whatever, if any, if, whatever Booker T, whatever JBL, whatever Christian, whatever Samoa Joe, whatever any of those guys, even Corey Graves, whatever those guys say, whatever they say, the gravity counts for a lot because of where they come from, because of who they are, because of what they've done. For me, I don't have that. For me, all that I have is what's in my words. So I try to use those words. And in this one, the fact that they're like, look, you got 30 or 40 seconds to talk about this match. You got 30 or 40 seconds to talk about that match. McAfee versus Cole, you got about 20 seconds to talk about that match. So it's like, I don't really have time to sit there like I do here for an hour and really just expand my thought process and justify my opinions on stuff. Instead, it's just like, boom, here you go. Um, and I actually had a good time just making every word count uh, on that show. It was a very radio way to do it. You know, like a music radio way to do it. It's called word economy. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. But most importantly, the takeover event itself. All right. Um, to tell you the truth, I was surprised that Finn Balor beat Timothy Thatcher at takeover. Um, it, I, part of me felt like, I wonder if they've decided not to go as far as they were going to go with Finn Balor. Because watching Finn Balor, and maybe it was just in the road to the uh, North American Championship ladder match. Um, watching Finn Balor, I was thinking to myself, you know, when he first got back to NXT, when he returned in October, after being gone since SummerSlam, or maybe it was even after October that he returned, I was like, I, I was watching this guy never lose matches. He, he didn't ever lose matches. And I'm like, they are building this guy to be a superstar. And then he would lose like one and it's like, okay, he could lose one. And then, you know, the Trevor Lee thing happened, but that was like, uh, I mean, Cameron Grimes, Cameron Grimes, the Cameron Grimes thing happened. And that was more like a fluke and you could justify that. But then, you know, he doesn't make it into the ladder match and you're like, okay. And like he lost to Velveteen Dream. Like there's always reasons when he loses these matches, but he does lose them. So I'm going, I wonder if, Finn Balor, they're just not going in that direction. And what I saw at TakeOver 30, I was like, no, they are. And I think something NXT did very well uh, at TakeOver 30 was they started, they're building a very strong good guy library. NXT coming off of this as a very strong heel champion. So what they need is challengers. And they're building a bunch of them now. And they, they this is you saw multiple in multiple matches, I saw main event baby faces coming out of it. Okay. So you had uh Finn Balor coming out of the Timothy Thatcher match. I'm like, okay, if, if you wanted to tell a story where Finn Balor starts heading towards the next takeover as a challenger to carry and cross, I can believe it. But there's other faces you can do. And you know, I mean turning Johnny Gargano heel that's a huge baby face that you're taking out of that library you know you got big heels in Johnny Gargano in Karrion Cross. big so 
Um, but so that's why it made sense that Finn Balor would win. That was good. Um, the ladder match, you know, obviously I wasn't surprised by that. I told you on the pre-show that Damian Priest was going to win that match. He won that match. I was not surprised by that um, at all. I think that the, I think that uh, Thick Boy, I think Bronson Reed comes out of that a star. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Bronson Reed started headed towards the next takeover as a North American title challenger. Although I can't really tell. I think I kind of feel like like uh Damian Priest is going to be like is is a good guy. You know, when he gets in the hot tub, he doesn't seem like a good guy, but then he does stuff in his matches where he does seem like a good guy. So I don't know if they fully if they fully decide. I think we'll find out more on NXT TV where this dude is at. You know, I I I think in the story with Keith Lee and the Billy Clubs, he was clearly a heel. But then coming off of that, he started to do a little bit more good guy type stuff. But I don't know. I I feel like he'd work better as a bad guy. But at the same time, maybe they don't want two, their two singles titles being held by bad guys. I don't know. Maybe the stories would be a little too similar going into title matches. But I think Damian Priest is the perfect person to hold that North American championship. I think that... Uh, we do not take Damian Priest seriously as an NXT championship contender right now. If you told me that uh, uh, Karrion Cross versus Damian Priest is the next NXT championship match, I would say, why even bother having the match? Nobody thinks Damian Priest is going to win that match. It's like when they did Keith Lee versus uh, Dominic Dijakovic. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a good match. Nobody thinks nobody thinks Dominic Dijakovic is going to win that match. He's not going to. You know, and he didn't. So. Uh, but I think that this elevates Damian Priest and puts him at the top of that heap of the newer guys, of that up upper mid card. Damian Priest is the top of it and potentially the next guy or one of the next guys to make that leap into main event world. I think Cameron Grimes got made. I think Bronson Reed got made. You know, I think it was a good match for everybody. Um and yeah, I think that I think that it will help make the North American Championship something that exists outside of the NXT Championship world, which I think is right. Um, so you had that match. You had the uh, Women's Championship. I thought was great. Dakota Kai. You know, I didn't think she was going to win, but uh, I thought that she would show up and feel like somebody deserving of that title match, and she did. So I thought that was good. And of course, you know. I mean, it's weird because I, you're setting up, I feel like everybody's being set up to have matches with Rhea Ripley. Like you're setting up Raquel Gonzalez versus Rhea Ripley. But that's as if Mercedes, it's like Mercedes Martinez versus Rhea Ripley was just forgotten about. Well, she powerbombed her on the floor in a tag match last week, so we're done with that. So, I mean, I don't exactly know where Rhea Ripley's going next, but I guess they're just occupying time before they decide it's time for a, Rhea Ripley Io Shirai match for Rhea Ripley to really have that run that she never really had as NXT Women's Champion. Um, you got your the the match of the night I think just because it was the match that left people talking. I think uh, Triple H came on his media calls and said I think Pat McAfee is going to surprise a lot of people, and he did. Uh, Pat McAfee showed up. And I was not surprised by it. It's another thing I said on the kickoff show, but it's a thing that I said on this podcast. It's a thing that I told Pat. You know, Pat McAfee doesn't fail at stuff. This is a guy who's been to Super Bowls. Like, I forget that because I don't know if you're like me, but I, like, I don't watch any football at all. I don't know anything about football. Like, when I make fun of Pat for being a punter, it's just because other people have made fun of Pat for being a punter. I don't even know why that's a joke. Like, it's kicking a football seems like a skill. I don't know anything about it. I think... Every football position is stupid. I would make fun of a punter the same way I make fun of being a quarterback because football's dumb anyway. So all the positions are stupid. But you forget, if you're not a football fan, that this guy has performed in front of stadiums full of people before at the highest possible level in Super Bowls. Like, he knows what it takes to get to that level. He's successful. He's got that athlete's mentality. I know that Pat McAfee has wanted to get into a wrestling ring for a while. Um, he's not, he likes being in front of a microphone, but he's not happy just being in front of a microphone. 
So for him to go out there, though, and put on the performance that he put on, I think he won over a lot of people. I think if he does wrestle again, it's going to be real tough for him to be a heel because all the people that thought he was a joke and all the people that thought, you know, it was a waste of time having Pat there, uh, I think that when they watch the match, it's what they left TakeOver talking about is how good Pat was. And it was really funny because there were all these moments in the match. Like halfway through the match, I was looking at Pat, and I was like, oh, my God, has he blown the F up. He has no oxygen left in his lungs. And then he did the thing where he runs, and he jumps from the floor to the top rope, and then he does the uh, backflip. And I was like, no way he's going to make it. He's definitely not going to make it because he's got no oxygen. And he did it. And he nailed it. You know, I just thought, I thought he was good. I love the story of the match. Uh, you know, I, he was such a good heel throughout the match. Kicking the stairs and taking his foot out of the game. You know, the whole thing. I I, I thought it was great. We're going to talk to him on the podcast soon to see where his head's at after everything. But I'm sure he's very, very proud of himself. You know, but I did find it odd that I was looking on Twitter and there were still people going like, well, what was the point of that match? And I don't understand wrestling fans that don't understand wrestling. Like, if you've only been watching wrestling for a couple years or you only watch wrestling casually, then that's fine. I understand that. I don't expect you to understand the nuances. But when you're one of these people who are obsessed with wrestling, like me, when you're one of these people who are on Twitter talking about wrestling and you're sitting there going like, well, why this match is a waste of time. You should be having that match. Like if you can have that opinion on what's going on, then you should have, you should be on some level informed as a fan. And like, I'm sitting there watching this going like, yes, why is Pat McAfee having this match? Well, the benefits are the you know, they're on ESPN hyping up the match. It's NXT. They get to go on ESPN get up and hype up this match and not just promote the match, but actually go on and work the angle on the show. That's big. You go and go on Pat McAfee's radio show. And I heard like Dave Meltzer was like, well, he only gets 150,000 on his live stream. First of all, 150,000 dedicated eyes on a YouTube stream. Those that's like radio numbers and TV numbers are bigger than internet numbers, but internet numbers can be more valuable because internet numbers are dedicated eyes and dedicated ears, whereas radio numbers and TV numbers are passive eyes and passive ears. And second of all, not only is his show on the internet, but it's on dozens and dozens and dozens of different radio stations across the country. So, you know, it, it, it is good for WWE's exposure. Like, to say that it's like, I don't know why, it's stupid. It's stupid to even question that. Um, but he also, the point of this is not just the promotion, and it's not just having, you know, somebody from the outside world being in the ring. The point of this is to turn Adam Cole into a good guy. And there were some people on the internet that I was looking in, like, you know, Twitter conversations, because sometimes I'll look at a person's post and then I'll look through their replies just to see what the conversations are, because that helps me figure out what to talk about on the podcast, like seeing what the conversations are. And I looked at it and people were having this conversation. And I'm like, the reason that Pat McAfee is part of this story is because it is an extremely organic, realistic way to turn Adam Cole into a good guy without having to do s silly wrestling stuff, you know, to create this story where the fans, without even thinking about it, are just, of course, going to cheer Adam Cole. The fans watch the YouTube clip and they're like, that Pat McAfee guy was a dick. Then he shows up on, on NXT and he's not taking wrestling seriously. Now you're you have to cheer for Adam Cole because cheering for Adam Cole is cheering for wrestling. And you have just turned Adam Cole into the representative of NXT, into the representative of pro wrestling against a world of people who don't understand why you watch this stuff. And just like that, just like that, you've given people a reason to cheer for Adam Cole. Coming out of TakeOver, Adam Cole is a babyface. When I talked about people who come out being strong, good guys. Finn Balor comes out being a strong, good guy. Bronson Reed is the next strong, good guy. 
And Adam Cole comes out as a good guy. If if they wanted to, they could do the same thing they could do with Finn Balor. They could do with Adam Cole on Wednesday. He could come out and he could be the next threat to Karrion Cross, and I would buy it because now Adam Cole is a good guy because of the Pat McAfee story. Now, getting into Karrion Cross, the more I thought about it, and that's why I went so hard on a kickoff show. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, there is nowhere to go with Keith Lee as champion. Who challenges Keith Lee if he beats Karrion Cross? Who's left? So I absolutely think they made the right decision. I was actually very surprised to hear that Keith Lee was going to be on Raw tonight. They announced that at SummerSlam, that Keith Lee is going to be on Raw tonight. And I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be refreshing. I think it's going to be cool to have a new character like Keith Lee. Uh, Keith Lee is a huge guy, and he's a badass dude. I don't think he'll be a comedy act. Um, and I I don't think that he'll be kind of brushed off because he's a big, charismatic guy. Those guys succeed. At the very least, those guys succeed. They're at least given the opportunity to succeed, and Keith Lee, when given the opportunity to succeed, will succeed. So I'm not thinking pessimistically about Keith Lee's debut on Raw. Uh, the only thing that surprises me is that... I would have thought that coming off of only, you know, I mean, he held the title for a month before he gave up one and then lost the other one. So it's like he doesn't have an NXT championship run under his belt. He has an NXT championship win under his belt, Um, which, I mean, who knows how much that matters. Maybe it doesn't matter at all. Maybe they want to reshape him on the main roster anyway. And he doesn't need that NXT history. I thought we were going to have sort of a, you know, I don't want to use the word retribution, but I thought we were going to have Keith Lee spend, you know, at least a little bit of time in NXT after this loss, um, still coming across looking like he's still a big deal. You know, my original pitch was just to keep him off TV and then eventually have him come back. But, you know, look, I, I think that he could be a great addition to Monday Night Raw. I'm, you know... I don't think that the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio story is done, but I think a Seth Rollins-Keith Lee match would be huge. I think Keith Lee comes on as a good guy, obviously. You know, I think maybe Keith Lee, ver- Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley would be huge money. I hope maybe, maybe that's where they're going to start. I think Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley would be enormous money. And the idea of Keith Lee maybe starting a faction with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander to go against the Hurt Business, have Apollo Crews go off and do something else for a while, and have MVP, Apollo Crews, I mean, I mean, MVP, Shelton Benjamin, and Bobby Lashley looking down the barrel at Keith Lee, Ricochet, and Cedric Alexander, who all came from that same sort of indie world, especially Ricochet and Keith Lee. I think that's money for me. Smells like money to me. And Karrion Cross, you know, they're saying he may have a separated shoulder coming out of NXT, um, out of takeover, but you know, hopefully that could be okay. They don't do takeover. <laughs> I was about to say they don't do takeovers every month, but they definitely don't do one takeover uh, a week like WWE does with pay per views sometimes. So I think as long as he's fixed up by the next takeover, there's enough in that character that he doesn't have to wrestle every week. So I think it still uh could be good. Look, let's get into SummerSlam. Uh, of course, the big news coming off uh of the kickoff show, which we knew it had leaked on the internet before, but Renee Young, good, Paquette, whatever, who knows what her name is going to be now. I don't think it'll be Renee Young anymore. Uh, Announced on the pre-show, and I was glad that they let her on the pre-show. One good thing they did on the pre-show was they let Renee uh, on the panel because she hasn't been on the panel since she commentated on Raw. One bad thing about the pre-show, they didn't put me on the panel. So, you know, those something that they did right, something they did wrong, it does kind of cancel out and even out at the end. But um, Renee announced that she was uh, moving on from WWE. I'm very interested to see what Renee Young does next. Renee Young is a super talent. When I started, uh, so when I first got the call that WWE was going to have me on one, they, all they did was say, we'll have you on a pre-show. If you, we're going to try this. We'll try this with you on a pre-show. We're going to bring you in for roadblock end of the line. 
Before that, I had to go to Stanford to uh, uh, test out to see if I could pull it off uh, and just to kind of get familiar with it. And the mock pre-show we did, it was myself, it was Renee Young, and it was Mike Mansuri, who was a, a extremely talented guy behind the scenes uh, at WWE who now works with McAfee. Um, but, you know, I think I, yeah, I'm sure that I had met Renee before that, but it was very sort of, it was very comfortable there. But that's there too. That's like, you know, kind of testing, rehearsing, whatever. The part that I didn't know what it was going to be like was doing a live show. Like, I'm sitting here, somebody who's grown up idolizing WWE and everything in it. And now I'm just going on and like, I'm going to be on this pre-show. Like that is still to this day, too much to wrap my head around. And so I have, I can't even visualize what it's going to be like. I can't, it's too much for me, but I certainly, I'm like, is this going to be fun? Is this going to be stressful? Is this going to be a lot? And I'm telling you, man, when I sat down at that table in 2016, Roblox ended the line. It was December. I want to say it was December of 2016. Um, two people made it so that I knew that everything was going to be okay and everything was going to be cool and I was going to have a good time doing this. It's Renee Young and Booker T, man. The 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 fact that like we could just run through stuff in rehearsal. And it was a quote-unquote rehearsal, but it's not like we were rehearsing anything. They trusted me without, you know, I say sight unseen, but obviously I've been on the radio a little bit before, but I hadn't done a pre-show before. And they were like, just use whatever verbiage you want to use. Say whatever you want to say. Don't worry about the script, but we're just going to run through so you get a feel of what it's like. And I was having fun with Renee, and I was having fun with Booker. I mean, I called my wife after the rehearsal, and I was like, Jess, don't worry. It's going to be fun. She was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I was like, yeah, it's going to be fun. But that was because Booker and that was because of Renee. Um, Renee has the ability that a lot of people don't have, which is to not only be this professional on the level of professionalism like you've never seen before. Like she makes it look so easy and so comfortable. And then you're like, why can't everybody just do that? But it's because she's so good that she makes it look like she's not even trying because she's that good. But she also makes it so that it's not an intimidating thing. Like you're not trying to keep up with her. She brings everybody along with her when she's going. It's an amazing trait for a host of one of those shows to have. I mean, and I, I've thought for a long time, I'm sure I've said on the podcast, that, you know, Renee has the talent and the ability and the fact that she's actually a joy to work with, that she's going to be able to do whatever she wants in the hosting realm. You know, she's going to be able to create a universe around her wherever she goes. So I know she's got a cookbook coming out in a while. I don't know when. Um, but I'm sure that she will pop up someplace very soon. Who knows? Maybe she'll go to AEW. She's married to the champion of the world. I don't think it would be that tough to get an interview over there. She may pop up in AEW. She may pop up on ESPN. She may pop up doing some kind of entertainment news. She may pop up doing her own thing. Maybe uh, the regular girls podcast takes it to the next level. Maybe she ends up on the cooking channel. You know, I don't know what she's going to end up doing, but she's going to end up doing something because there is a lot of talent there. Uh, and somebody that I've never met a person who hasn't been like, she's one of my favorite people to work with. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what's next and super bummed that she won't be around WWE anymore. Um, but moving to SummerSlam, uh, I thought a few things. I thought the pacing of the show was great. I thought a, most of the matches were great. And again, it felt so refreshing to have those matches in the Thunderdome. It's just such a pleasure to watch those matches in the Thunderdome as opposed to watching them uh, in the Performance Center. Um, you know, I thought... Uh, I, I, I was not shocked at the way the Sasha Banks, Bailey, Asuka matches went. Uh, but, you know... It, I hope Sasha and Bailey don't split up soon. I don't see any other way to go. Uh, 
I would imagine that they'll lose the tag titles. You know, I would think that the way to go is at payback, have them lose the tag team championship by having Bailey get pinned and Sasha's not there to help her. And that kind of starts to unravel as we go. But, I mean, I can't see them still being together by Survivor Series. But who knows? I mean, I hope they are, but I don't see it happening. Um, you know, uh, so, but I thought, I thought that both of the matches were really good. Asuka taking that shot to the head on the outside of the ring looked brutal. Uh, but I thought I thought both those matches were really good. Um, what else did we have? Uh, you had your tag match. Uh, I wasn't thrilled to see another tease of Andrade and and Angel Garza breaking up. I don't know if maybe they see a future in Angel Garza and they want to start conditioning him to be a solo act or whatever. But I I feel like. Making that tag team and making it with Zelina Vega and making them just be an enormous tag team would be the way I would handle it. But I guess that's not the way they're going to go. Interesting to see Kevin Owens out on commentary, too. Part of me is like they probably just want to get him on the pay-per-view because he's a big star. And the other part of me goes, I wonder if if it's like a secret audition. I wonder because he's not getting involved and he's not directly involved with the match. I do wonder if they're going, man, Samoa Joe is so good on commentary. Let's see what Kevin Owens can do. Let's start building that library. And I feel like that's something WWE does. That You'll see it over the next year or two. You'll see Kevin Owens pop up in spots. You remember in like the 90s, in the early 90s, not in the mid-90s, they were doing it with Shawn Michaels. Like in 95, they'd put Shawn Michaels on commentary as a heel. And I think that they just test people like that sometimes. So I think that might be what was going on with... Uh, with Kevin Owens. Uh, let's talk about the Seth Rollins-Dominic Mysterio match. Uh, you know, I, I the question of the weekend was who's going to do, who's going to have a better debut match, Pat McAfee or Dominic Mysterio? And it was just two totally separate things. I think that uh, Pat McAfee shocked the world with the level of athlete that he is and the stuff that he was able to pull off, the air that he was able to get on some of those top rope moves. I mean, it was really very impressive. I think what was impressive about Dominic was the storytelling that he did. That match was like a half hour long or something like that. It was like 25 minutes long. It was a long match. But the whole thing was just, the the story was told so well. Dominic sold everything great. His timing was great. Just getting the crap knocked out of him. His mom being out there. Then Ray is handcuffed to the rope. You know, I thought that the, the storytelling was really good throughout the match. I was surprised that it appears that the Mysterio story is not done being told because you can't just leave the Mysterio family getting, you know, shipwrecked like that. But I also think it left Seth Rollins in a very, very powerful position. And I tweeted this. Seth Rollins, to me, is criminally underrated. And I know that, he, well, he's been champion, he's been this, he's been that, but there are still people that that are like Seth Rollins haters, and I'll never understand that. I think it might be because, you know, he comes across poorly on Twitter sometimes. But just, like, let that be somebody else. Judge the character based on the character. Because Seth Rollins in the ring, Seth Rollins promo, Seth Rollins character, and the, the key is the stories that he tells in the ring. It's not just the moves in the match. It's the story that gets told throughout the match. And the fact that a, a year ago, this guy was kind of in the position to be the top babyface in the company. And now he's telling this story where he's just one of the most hateable heels there is. You know, that you want, you are, you will pay for a pay-per-view to watch him get his ass kicked. And that's the best kind of heel in the world. And that's what Seth Rollins has walked into. So, I mean, I thought Dominic and Seth Rollins just played both their parts tremendously. And I thought it was a really fun watch. Uh, the Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre match is a very good match. Old school finish made it feel like a finish can happen at any time. Uh, I thought Drew McIntyre looked like a much bigger superstar holding that championship for the first time and having a major title defense against a major opponent in the Thunderdome. It made a big, big difference to the presentation of Drew McIntyre. Uh, And I think very, very clearly we're going to see Drew versus Randy at Payback. You know, I think you're going to see another Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton match at Payback. And I'm not complaining. I am interested to see how they make 
the arenas look different, how they make Thunderdome look different. Like if we're gonna have if we're gonna have Drew McIntyre versus Randy at SummerSlam, and then a week later, Drew McIntyre versus Randy at Payback, how do those two matches look different? And they can do it visually. I'm just interested in uh, in seeing it. And then, of course, the story of the weekend, what this podcast is named after. I'm watching SummerSlam, and I'll tell you, I was literally watching The Fiend's entrance, and I was watching Braun Strowman's entrance. And I was going, I have really enjoyed myself watching this pay-per-view. But I've seen the whole thing coming. <laughs> there is there is not one. And even, I think, uh, Tom Phillips or somebody, like, when, when McIntyre... Uh, Got got the pin on Randy Orton. Tom Phillips goes, oh, Randy didn't see that coming. And I was like, oh, how cheesy is that? But I was like, I was like, I guess I didn't see that coming as the finish. But it, I mean, I did not see it coming, you know. As 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 Bray and as Braun walked in the ring, I'm like, I've seen everything coming so far. There better be something here. Uh, and then they do the Falls Can Anywhere match. I enjoyed it brutality, getting the toolbox out, you know, that bump that, that, that the fiend Bray Wyatt took on the commentary table when the table didn't break, but the top of it just kind of caved in and he just hit the edge of that table hard. I was like, oh, oh, that looked painful. And what was really brutal to me is that as the fiend, he couldn't even sell it. So he had to no sell this thing that I'm sure absolutely killed. Which, I mean, give it up for the dedication to the character. Because that had to, that was gnarly. That was a gnarly hit to the table. I thought it was very cool to watch them wrestling in the gorilla position. Um, you don't see that every day. Usually they skip past the gorilla position. You know, they leave the, the screen area, the aisle way. And then they end up right to the locker room. They skip over the gorilla position. So seeing them in the gorilla position was really cool. Interesting that we're going all back to live, by the way. That we can't pre-tape everything because you got fans now back because of the Thunderdome. So everything's going to be live now, uh, which I say that to say that you couldn't have pre-taped this Falls Count Anywhere match and had them go over here and go over there because it's got to be live now. Um, they come back to the ring. Um, Braun, I, there was one moment where Braun like clearly mouthed the word, well, you got to be fucking kidding me. Or what the fuck do I have to do? Or something like that. And Michael Cole on commentary goes, Braun Strowman just said, what on earth do I have to do? I was like, that's not what he said, Michael Cole. I saw his mouth moving. That's not what he said, Michael Cole. You legend, you. Braun gets the box cutter out, and I'm like, tell me he's about to slit this man's throat. Tell me Braun Strowman is about to stab a movie villain right now. Tell me that's what the mon- that that's what the, that the monster Braun Strowman the difference between Braun Strowman and the monster Braun Strowman is that the monster Braun Strowman will stab an MFer with a box cutter. Tell me that's the difference. But that's not the difference. Instead, he cut open the canvas, he exposed the wood. And I was like, well, even that's not the you didn't see, you'll never see it coming. Cause I remember when Gargano and Champa did that. Still cool. It just doesn't count as you'll never see it coming. Still thought it was awesome. Couple of Sister Abigails on the on the exposed planks, though. Braun took way too long exposing the planks. I lo- as he was doing it, I was like, man, he's taking a long time doing this. And I love that they didn't play it off, that it actually, like, the Fiend was waiting for him. He almost didn't get that second Sister Abigail if you saw it. I mean, Bray Wyatt is a strong man. Bray Wyatt lifts a lot of weight. Because if you saw the second Sister Abigail, Braun was, like, on his toes. So he wasn't bracing himself at all with his feet. His toes were like folded over. So Bray was holding that all himself. It just had to snap him back onto those wooden planks. Bray wins the Universal Championship. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of The Fiend being the Universal Champion. Although I'm probably going to have to buy that uh, Bray Wyatt uh, replica title now. If anybody wants to donate the $6,000 for the Tom Savini version, I'd love to have it. But... Maybe I'll tell my wife that's what I want for my birthday. She didn't give me a six thousand dollar thing, but maybe she'll get me that three seventy five or whatever. Wait till there's a sale and get the fiend replica title. I think it would look great in the studio here. Um, 
So, Bray wins the Universal title, which scares me. I remember what happened the last time The Fiend was the Universal champion. It started awesome, and then terrible things happened. But a terrible thing didn't happen this time. Out of nowhere, Roman Reigns and his sparkly new teeth show up, but he's not smiling with them, which I loved. He got new teeth so he could scowl at everybody. And I was like, that's what I want to see out of my Roman Reigns. Dude, Roman came back in and he beat the you-know-what. He beat the garbage out of Bray Wyatt the Fiend. Then he went and started beating up Braun Strowman. And he told both of them, like, you're nobody without me. You don't deserve to hold this. You're freaking a mask. This is my spot. You don't deserve any of this. And I was like, that is not a babyface talking. So here's the question. You'll never see it coming. The idea that Roman Reigns was going to appear. Could have seen that coming. As a matter of fact, I believe that when we did our pre-SummerSlam Zoom party for the Patreon members uh, at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, we were talking about what what are we never going to see coming? And uh, WWE Front Row, one of the mayors of Shillville, said, what about if Roman Reigns returns? And we went, huh, and we kind of talked about that for a while. So the idea that Roman Reigns would return, that's not what I didn't see coming. What I didn't see coming is the fact that we may very well be getting a Roman Reigns heel turn. That's what I didn't see coming. What I saw tonight was a heel, a heel Roman Reigns coming into SummerSlam to beat everybody up. His shirt said, wreck everybody, leave. I saw Roman Reigns come in, beat up both competitors, and not act with any humility whatsoever. There was nothing about what Roman did, Reigns did at SummerSlam that made me believe that this guy is a good guy. I think Roman Reigns is a bad guy. And that's what's gotten me excited. That's what has me pumped. The idea that Roman Reigns appears to be a villain. That is what I didn't see coming. And that is absolute money. By the way, Roman Reigns coming out reminded me that the Thunderdome is so important because it's not just, I mean, think about what the WWE has accomplished. WWE didn't just lose their fans and their arenas. WWE has been operating without Seth Rollins. I mean, I'm sorry, without Roman Reigns, without Becky Lynch, without Charlotte, without Edge, without all these stars, they've lost so much star power and the fans and the arenas. And they're still ticking and seeing them at SummerSlam, seeing them in an arena and seeing Roman Reigns come out and do something different was what I didn't see coming and what made me optimistic. It, it got me going. It got my blood moving. It made me think Roman Reigns doing something different. Who would have thought Roman Reigns would do something different at this show? That, if you told me Roman Reigns returned, that's not a surprise. You tell me Roman Reigns is returning and he's not in the same form, that he actually feels different, that he actually feels new, that he actually feels fresh. Now, now you have my attention. Now I'm interested. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really, really cool and left me interested. I thought uh, I was disappointed that Alexa Bliss was not involved at all. Uh, but I think probably the reason she wasn't involved was because at the end of the night, this is not about where Bray Wyatt is going next. This is about the return of Roman Reigns. Um, there was one thing that could have made it better for me. The one thing that could have made Roman Reigns return better is if he beat up those two guys. And I was waiting for it too. He beat up those two guys. And then he said, all right. And then he just like yelled out, not even into a microphone, just yelled out, all right, boys, let's tear it down. And then retribution comes out and starts ripping everything up. I mean, if you had found out in that moment 
that Roman Reigns had been behind retribution the whole time. That's the thing that nobody saw coming. I wish, I wish that Roman Reigns had said, let's tear it down, boys. And retribution just came out and tore apart the ring and tore apart the commentary table and left everybody running. And SummerSlam ends with Roman Reigns and 10,000 guys in ninja masks behind him. I think that would have been huge. Maybe they're going in a different direction with Roman, but man, I think Roman is a heel leader of retribution. I think it's the way to go. And I love the idea of Miz being a part of retribution, but Miz being the kind of assistant to Roman Reigns. I don't think it's happening. I think if Roman Reigns were in charge of retribution, we would have seen it at SummerSlam. I just think it'd be a cool idea. All right, guys. That's the weekend from my point of view. That's this week's Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, If you want to get involved in the stuff that we're doing, of course, Thursday, hopefully we're, you know, we do another, a second podcast every Thursday. So hopefully we will know enough by Thursday that we can do a payback pre-show. We can at least do a, let's predict payback at the very least. We'll get into all that this Thursday on Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. The only way you can be a part of that is to be on Patreon. It's less than a dollar a week and you'll be able to get the podcast. Then there's a ton of other benefits. There's the video uh, feed. There's watching the live video of the podcast. There's being involved in the pre-pay-per-view Zoom calls. There's being involved in the brainstorming Zoom calls before these podcasts. There's a ton of stuff. Uh, go to patreon.com slash wrestling. See if any of it fits something that you might be interested in, and we will see you next week. And by the way, every podcast too, for those that get to watch live on Patreon, we do a Q&A after we tape the podcast. So thank you all for being a part of this week's Not Sam Wrestling. Hope you enjoyed SummerSlam. Hope you enjoyed this. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.